on um, Thursday, I sent you another article that I had read that I thought was another very important tool in our preparation process. And it's called Satan's Five Deadliest Weapons of Mass Destruction. It really, again, it pierced my heart to the extent that I felt it was important to pass this on to all of you. Because, you know, I think that we, we have this impression that maybe we're doing better than we're actually doing. But then when you read these articles, um, you have this reality check, at least I did. You have this reality check um, that really fine-tunes that searching light in your heart, where the general sins, like the general things that we're prone to asking forgiveness for, it's not good enough. At least not for where we are in our walk with the Lord. And um, I brought this article again, and I think I taught from it last last week. And it's the first article that I sent out. It's from Jewish Jewels, and it's called The Tyranny of Self. I think I've read this maybe a dozen times. Every time I read it, I get something else out of it. And I was meditating on the title, The Tyranny of Self. Well, well what does that mean in light of the Word of God? What does it mean for what's within us to be a tyrant. And I looked up the definition of tyranny. The definition is cruel and unfair treatment by people. Cruel and unfair treatment of people by people with power over others. And a tyrant is a cruel master. There's only one cruel master in scripture, and that's Hasatan. He is the hater of our soul, as opposed to Yeshua, who is the lover of our soul. He is not a harsh taskmaster. I looked up the word taskmaster in the scripture. There was only one place where I saw the word taskmaster repeated. Do you know where that was? Where? In Egypt, in the book of Exodus, where it talks about the harsh taskmasters that were over Israel. And they, they were so harsh in their treatments of the Israelites that they cried out to God. And what does the scripture say? God heard their cries. And he what? He remembered his people. It wasn't as if he forgot his people. He remembered in the sense that this was the appointed time to do something. To activate what would be his plan of salvation for his people. And so when I think of, I can only refer to my own life, when I think of how I lived under the tyrant, tyranny of Hasatan. Only one set me free. 
the same one that set the children of Israel free. It was the blood of the lamb that set the children of Israel free. It was the blood of the lamb that set me free. It is the only way that we can be free from the tyranny of the enemy of our soul. But then there's another tyrant, and it's self. And this is what we're working on this month. And there's two scriptures that we're going to look at. Well, first I want to read a statement that um, Jamie Lash wrote in this article. When I sent you the email on Thursday, I had mentioned that one of the statements that she made that so convicted me was, were these words, we think we focus on God. We think we do. We think we do. But self is subtle. Self runs deep. And God is calling us to do some soul searching this month. And again, as, as I, what I referred to earlier is that we need that pinpoint light of the Lord to shine within our hearts. Not the general stuff, but the specifics where we stumble and fall, where we have that, um, that place, whether it's in our spirit, whether it's in our mind or our heart, where the enemy is always setting a trap for us. And God wants to reveal those places so that we can confess them, speak the word of God over them, and move on to the next level of intimacy with him that Sim was speaking about earlier. So, um, Jamie Lash wrote this, and this is under, this is only on page two. This is the section under Dead to Self. She writes this, and she's writing about herself. One might assume that after 50 years of following Yeshua, a person would be totally dead to self. The truth that I found very convicting is that self is still alive, even in mature believers, and must be conquered daily. This was another one of those statements that pierced my heart, that made me ask the Lord, where do I need to be conquered daily? And it, it alludes to something that Sim had said at the very beginning, is that we are never totally prepared. And the way to be prepared is to always have that soul-searching light on in our hearts and in our minds so that we are ready to ask God's forgiveness the moment we know we are contrary to his will and his word. And the only way we can do that is to be in that mode, that um, lifestyle. As soon as you say something, as soon as you think something, as soon as you do something, is to just stop right there and just pray. Ask God's forgiveness. Ask for his grace. Ask for the power of Ruach to remove that sin from our lives. 
So I'm going to, I'm, and I'm sorry if, I, if you've already read this 10 times, a dozen times like I have. It doesn't matter because she asked such pointed questions that, you know, we shouldn't just, you know, gloss over them. We should take a question and say, Lord, am I this? If I am, please show me where I am this, what I've done, what I've said, so I can confess it, so I can repent, and I can pray your spirit to deliver me from this sin in my life. And what I love is when you do that, God gives you a scripture. He gives you a word to use as a weapon against that sin in your life. So <clears throat> the first thing, the first question that she asked in her list under dead to self is this. Are you touchy and easily hurt or offended? Sim, what's that scripture on offense? There's the perfect example. The Lord gives us scriptures to speak over ourselves so that we won't fall into Satan's trap. Do you... Amen. What was that Proverbs what? Proverbs 14:27. 14, 27. That kind of covers all the following questions. <laughs> Proverbs 14:27. Do you feel resentful when slighted, contradicted or crossed in any way? How do you respond when you're slighted? When you're contradicted, when you're crossed, how do you respond? With love? With gentleness? A gentle answer turns away wrath. I think that's in Proverbs, but I can't tell you where. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Do you always have to have the last word? Do you always have to have the last word? Do you tend to defend, justify, or excuse yourself when reproved or corrected? I was thinking about this question. And how I brought this to the Lord was this way. If we have a teachable spirit, we will never have to defend or justify or excuse ourselves. So part of my prayer is give me a teachable spirit. Teach me your ways that I may not sin against you. All you have to do is take one word go to your concordance or go online to Bible Gateway. And if you struggle in any of these areas, in this list of questions, 
you will have multiple verses to use as weapons against the enemy and against yourself because we are our own worst enemy at times. But if we are sick and tired of being sick and tired of sinning and falling short of the glory of God, we will do something about it. And this is the season to do something about it. The next question, do you have a need to prove yourself right? Do you frequently condemn others? And in parentheses, she puts this, a backhanded way of praising self. Because if you condemn others or criticize others, in your own mind, you're lifting yourself up. In fact, Yeshua said the same thing when he said, before you judge another, we're to do what? First take the log out of our eye before we go hunting for the splinter in another's eye. It's the same idea. Do you esteem others better than yourself? Short list of questions. And I'm trying to think, is it in Romans where it says we are to regard others as better than ourselves? Romans 12 or 13. Somewhere in there, there's a scripture that says that we are to consider others as better than ourselves. So the two scriptures that we are going to look at today, the first one is from Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Yeshua said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And the second scripture is this. Galatians 2.20. The first translation I'm going to use is from the New King James. I have been crucified, and I'm going to messianicize it. I have been crucified with Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm also going to read this from the complete Jewish Bible because I love how it defines me. It's no longer I who live. I like how it defines the I or the me. When the Messiah was executed on the stake as a criminal, I was too. So we are to consider ourselves dead people. And I remember a book by Tommy Tenney, and somewhere in that book is the quote that dead people see God. People who are willing to die to self 
completely are the ones who see God in this life. When the Messiah was executed on the stake as a criminal, I was too. For the reason, or for this purpose, so that I no longer live, yes, but here's how it's translated by David Stern, so that my proud ego no longer lives. Remember a little while ago, I talked about being God showing us specifically, not general sins, but the specific sin that we struggle with? This is being specific about the I. We can say in general that I no longer live, but what is it? What is it within me that causes me to sin? What is it about my character? That causes me to sin. Yeah, it's the I, but what is the I? It's that proud ego. If you look at all of the sins that the Lord says we are not to do in the Ten Commandments, Every single one of them has as its root pride. We're not going to look at them individually. Maybe that's something you can meditate on. But every single one of them has as its root pride. Beginning with, you shall worship the Lord your God. Who's going to tell me who to worship? If our response is that we'd rather worship something else, that reveals a pride that no one is going to tell us what to do and who to worship. And right there, we can't go any further with any of the other commandments because our understanding and carrying out of that first commandment is what all the other commandments hinge on. Unless God is our God. And if we haven't lifted up any other gods, any other idols in our heart, there's no way that we could have victory over the other sins that God lists in those commandments. There's no way. How would we do it? How would we do it? Without the power of the living God without the power of Ruach HaKodesh in us, not only to shine the light on our sin, but to give us the grace and the power to have victory over this sin. And again, that is what this season is all about, is having victory over the sin in our life. One of the other things I wanted to read this morning is also in her article. And she talks about God's promise to the Israelites when they go into the promised land. How they are going to have victory over all of their enemies. And we know that the enemies 
in the land were the Amorites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God says he will cut them off from before you. And I like that on the very last page, Jamie writes a list of ites in our lives. And she writes before that, Yeshua stands ready to give us victory over these self-ites. Doubt-ites. Anger-ites. Do you have trouble with doubt? Do you have trouble with anger? Lust-ites. Do you have trouble with lust? Pride-ites. Do you have trouble with pride? Fear-ites. Well, in our study of the fear of the Lord, the only fear we should have is the fear of the Lord. Otherwise, it's sin. Fear of man is sin. Having any other kind of fear is sin in God's eyes other than fear of him. Deceptionites. Vanityites. That was one of the first weapons of mass destruction in this article is the sin of vanity. That was the most interesting, I think, of all of the... Well, I don't know. Gluttony was very interesting, too. But anyway, so the vanity-ites, the complacency-ites, that's a huge one. This is why... The body of Messiah is where it is today because of the sin of complacency. How does that tie in to self? The sin of complacency. How does that tie into self? If she's making a list of self-ites, complacency. Complacency kills. It's a marine term. Excellent. <laughs> Hillary. Uh, okay, that's excellent. Anything else? It's what? Ignoring evil. That's good. Leaving it to somebody else to do the job. Say, la vie, what shall be, shall be. Something else, Susan? Yeah. Condoning or, you said omission. Like condoning sin. Looking the other way. And not admitting that you're part of the problem. Norma. Not confronting, in love. not confronting in love. And all of these things affect self because it makes us uncomfortable. And so we fall into that complacency ites, stubbornness ites, that's self explanatory. Unbeliefites, again, self-explanatory. And then if you read this, envyites, gluttonyites, 
racismites and dishonorites. She did say there's many more. The point in listing all of these is God is so gracious to let us see beyond the obvious in our lives. So that not just in this season, but the season that follows this, we are never, we've never arrived, we're always arriving. I know we've said that for years in this congregation, but it's a reminder that we never sit back and say, well, God's done all he's going to do in me because I am the person I want to be. Can you say that you have been changed into the image of Messiah Yeshua today? I can't. This is our goal, is to be changed from glory to glory into the image of Messiah. But not one of us can stand here and say that God has completed the work. If God had completed the work, where would we be? We would be with him. This is not the end of her, her article. But when she gives the list of the ites that were would be the enemies of Israel once they got into the promised land. She said that God promised that he would cut them off. He gives the same promise to us. She talks about facing the spiritual enemies of our soul. And she writes that our first step must be revelation, awareness that we have an enemy. And then the realization that we don't have to battle the enemy alone because God will help us cut them off. And then she quotes Zechariah 4.6, which most of us are familiar with. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This is the way that we don't battle them alone. We battle them with the power of God's spirit within us. And you know, <clears throat> one of the things as I've been meditating on this article is that we need to be willing for God to do this work in us. We have to be not complacent. We have to be not satisfied with where we are and allow God to bring revelation to our hearts. And as we walk in that revelation, we know that God will give us the grace. However, we need to stop and ask for that grace. We need to stop and ask for that power over sin. We have to be aware of the enemy seeking What does it say in Peter? The enemy of our soul prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. We've seen all around us 
people of faith being devoured by the enemy, being taken off guard. God shows us how not to be taken off guard. And it's in Psalm 139, what we've been praying through. Search me. Lord, search me, and you know my heart, so show me those places. This is an ongoing work. But we have to have that understanding that God is always with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. That he will protect us from the enemy when we ask him to. I heard a story yesterday. I don't know that I'm going to do it justice. I'm going to paraphrase it. It was a young woman who was eulogizing her father. She was the first one to speak at the funeral for this very wonderful man who passed away earlier this week. The first thing she did was tell a story. And I love to hear stories. She pointed to a necklace that she was wearing around her neck, and it was a necklace of a fish. Her father had given it to her on her 14th birthday, but it signified something to her. The family used to go to this lake on vacation every year. And when she was 14, she decided that she wanted to swim the length of this lake. The length of the lake was two miles. That's a pretty daunting task for a 14-year-old. But she had it in her mind that she wanted to do this, and she expressed this desire to her dad. There was something in the water that, I don't know if she used the term freaked her out, but I'm going to use the term. And what they were, were multiple markers that would warn boats of hazards under the water. And the reason why those freaked her out was because they looked like shark fins. Now, there wouldn't be a shark in a lake, but the idea of a hazard, something that could harm you while you're swimming, would put up some red flags in your mind. So the day that she was ready to swim the two miles of this lake, her father decided to row next to her, to block out her line of vision of those markers. And she was able to complete the swim to the other side. Her story was a little more detailed than this. But what I saw in her story was the story of us. I paralleled her swim with my life. 
And I looked at the man in the boat as God the Father. Between me and every obstacle, every hazard that I would encounter on this swim of my life. It was such a beautiful picture, it brought tears to my eyes. Just the idea of God the Father ever being with me on this journey. There are times I forget that he's there. I don't think I will after this story. I could picture her dad next to her and just keeping up with her, not going ahead, but keeping up with her so that she wouldn't see what was there. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And Yeshua says this to us, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He left his spirit as a comforter and as a helper to keep us from the hazards. And the only way that works is if we look and focus on him, which was the very first thing that Jamie wrote in that article. Focus on God. If we focus on God, we can't focus on self. If we focus on God, we don't look to the world to protect us. We don't look to the world to give us courage or strength. We look to the one who alone can put himself between us and every hazard that we would ever have in life. Does that mean we won't have troubles? No. Yeshua said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But I have overcome the world. If you look to me, I have overcome. I will give you the grace to go through. I will give you the grace to overcome. He's a loving father who sent a loving son to die in our place, to go back to be with the father so that he would send a loving helper to walk with us all our days. So Lord, we are so grateful that in this season of denying self, you give us visuals. You teach us through others that you have already taught, like Jamie Lash and like Alex Pagani. There are so many, Lord, that we glean from. I think of John Bevere. I think of Tim Keller. I think of so many authors who walk closely with you, Lord. And I thank you, Father. I thank you, Lord, that you put people in our lives to remind us of your compassion, your loving kindness, your grace, your love, and the power that you give us over sins. We thank you, Father, that every day you are refining us. Every day, Lord, you are showing us those places that need your refiner's fire because we want to be a holy people unto you, Lord.
We want to be a spotless bride ready for her bridegroom. That will cost us something. It will hurt along that journey. But we want to be that spotless bride ready for her bridegroom. We want to be a refined people, a holy people, holy unto you. So we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for everything you give us along our journeys, personally and corporately, so that we may be the people that you've called us to be. And it's in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. If you'll come up.